Um, and now, if you'll join me on your bulletins and your Bibles or on the screen, uh, the scripture readings, Mark 10, 17 to 27. Mark 10, 17 to 27. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran, ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around him and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you for these words and we thank you for your teaching. Thank you that you are a good savior and that you've rescued us from our sin. I pray this morning that we'd be humble and receive the gifts that you have for us, that we could know you better and be close to you in your presence. Uh, Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, I invite you to uh, find a seat and uh, grab your Bible if you have it. If not, it's on the bulletin as we study uh, God's Word this morning together. Uh, before we do that, though, I just want to just uh, uh, make a note for you to pray for uh, Gary Wanakot, our, our dear friend Gary, uh, is having heart surgery tomorrow just to make sure his, his heart is on the correct rhythm. So put that down on your little handout that uh, Gary Wanakot is having surgery tomorrow. Gary, what time is that happening at? At 12.30. Okay, thank you. And I'm going to pray for him right now. Father, we just want to uh, lift up Gary to you right now as he is going into uh, the doctor tomorrow for surgery. We ask that you would guide the doctors and, and give them wisdom. And, and I pray that, that this surgery would create um, uh, a healthy heart that um, would give him a quality of life to uh, enjoy his family and, and all things they enjoy doing together. So we pray that there would be a healing that happens uh, through the work of the doctors. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So just make a note of that, please, and uh, be thankful to Gary. If you don't know Gary, uh, I invite you just to introduce yourself and uh, say hello to him. Uh, we are finishing up our short summer series, and we're talking about God's kingdom. And one of the reasons why we're talking about that is because Jesus talked about it a lot. And his closest followers were often confused and misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. So it's easy for us to misunderstand what Jesus is talking about 
when he talks about his kingdom. And this morning we want to focus our thoughts on the topic of generosity and what Jesus has to say uh, about money. I, I hope you were able to follow along the reading this morning because there, there should have been something there that, that caught your attention because Jesus says it twice that it is very difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's very difficult for those that have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And I know what happens is where we, you know, where we live here in Malibu, we, we compare the income we have with other people, and no one ever wants to think of themselves as wealthy. Last night at dinner, I, I've got three boys, and I asked them if they thought we were wealthy, and what were the signs of wealth that we had? And um, some of the things they talked about, they said, well, we've got food, we've got clean water, we've got shelter, we've got clothes. If you break your arm, you can go to the doctor, and you'll have, you'll have really good medical care. Um, we have lots of things that maybe we don't even think about that make us wealthy compared to the world. And so I think it's just it's, it's absolutely important that we understand the words of Jesus when he's talking about wealth because we are inundated with messages about wealth and about money uh, and all kinds of things. Um, I'm 46 years old. I was born in 1970, and in the 80s, when I was growing up, there was one woman who, um, who was maybe the most popular woman entertainer of the 80s, and I think she lasted even beyond that. In fact, I think she's maybe the most accomplished female artist um, maybe ever in the United States. And um, she wrote a song... Uh, well, I don't know if she wrote it, but she sang it. And as I was studying this week, just because I'm a child of the 80s, it came to my mind. And, um, and the woman is Madonna. And um, she's, uh, I'll, I'll confess this, I don't have any Madonna posters in my house. <coughs> I'm not a huge Madonna fan. <coughs> she was uh, hugely popular, though. And um, she wrote a song called Material Girl. And... I think it just it captures so much. I'm going to give you a few other things, but we're going to listen to one minute of it. Now, the problem, the problem of it is that I think I thought, you know, she came to my mind on Tuesday or something like that, and I've been, like, singing the song, like, all week. So the danger is that you're going to not listen to one thing I say for the next 25 minutes, and you're going to sing Madonna over and over again. So please, I want you just to, to not allow your emotions, like, to take you over. But to, to be thinking, to be a thinking person. Okay? Do we have that, Russell? Remember this, the boy with the cold hard cash 
got a nice, I don't know what, we got a large animal flying through our church. Two animals. That's next sex is next week's son. <laughs> They didn't get the cue. <laughs> Last week was power. This week is money. Next week is sex. <laughs> now, unfortunately, uh, Madonna's song um, uh, captures something that, that is true. Um, that we think that we live in a material world. And, and I want to say to you that she is 100% wrong. That you are spiritual people first. That yes, that God gives us things to enjoy in this world. He gives us material things. And he gives them to us in abundance to enjoy. But they are to never take the place of God in our lives. You've probably heard stories like this before, but this is just something that came up quick on the internet as far as this is from people who won the lottery. Now, we all have this secret little fantasy, right? And, and they, there's studies that say it's often some of the most poor people that buy lottery tickets. And we all have this little fantasy, like maybe I'm the person that will do it. Well, here's just some random stories uh, from people who actually won. Uh, Abraham Shakespeare murdered in 2009 from a woman who pretended to befriend him, shot him, buried him under a slab of concrete in the backyard, was found guilty of first-degree murder. His brother, broken-hearted, saying his brother always regretted winning the lottery. Family after family after family According to Time Magazine, I read, regretted the damage that winning a lottery caused to their family. Before, uh, this one woman, Donna Milken, talked about how her life was actually happy. It was a good life. And after winning, she couldn't even navigate life. She couldn't navigate who her true friends were. Um, Jesus talks a lot of, about money and about how important it is. And um, David, a guy that I like to read from the New York Times occasionally, David Brooks, uh, wrote an article a few years ago. And just one thing, he, this was a, the article was from 2009. And if you remember 2009, economy went down, lots of rethinking on money. And he said this, talking about our culture, Americans will not renounce the moral materialism that is at our core. So, here's what I'm, I'm preaching against Madonna. I'm, I'm preaching against the American culture. I'm preaching something that is internal. It's in our DNA to love money, to love material things, to be preoccupied with those things. And the story that we're going to look at this morning is a, is a well-known story about a guy. Uh, he's known in, in the Gospels as the rich young ruler. And so we'll spend just a few minutes looking at his life and trying to better understand um, what's going on in this story. Why does Jesus have such um, strong words for this man? So if you have your Bible or the handout, I really want you to follow along and, and focus and think carefully about this, about what God's Word says. So the story picks up in verse 17. And just before that, Jesus is praying for children. He's talking about the kingdom of God again. 
And so now, verse 17, the story picks up. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him. And so what we're going to talk about to begin with this morning is the danger of wealth, the danger of money, the danger of material things. And what we'll learn is this, is that the danger of wealth, the danger of wealth is that it has the power to create blind spots in your life. And that money and wealth are the primary competitor, the primary competition in your life that rivals God. That money and wealth and material things are probably the greatest rival to your relationship with God. So he starts out running up to Jesus, and we learn just a few good things. Let's think about like the positive, make some positive observations about this man. Well, he's, he's an eager spiritual seeker. He runs up to Jesus, he kneels down, and he asks him, good teacher. And so he senses this. He senses some sort of missing element to his life. The story goes on and says this, that he is accomplished, he's wealthy, and he's wealthy in two ways. He's wealthy financially, but he's also wealthy in morality. He's, he is the ideal guy. He is... He is the dream guy. He is the guy that people look up to. He's a religious leader. He's a good guy. He's wealthy. He might be the kind of guy that every single woman dreams of. At least according to Madonna, he's the ideal person. But something is like there's something missing within his soul. And that's why I'm here to, to share with us this morning, to say to you that you are not just a material person, that you are spiritual people first and foremost. And this man senses that. He understands that something is lacking in his life, that money cannot satisfy. And so he says to him, he says in verse 29, or excuse me, verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the question is one of salvation. He wants something deeper in his life. He wants something that money cannot provide. There's something missing in his life. Jesus says to him, verse 18, why do you call me good? And, and that's a significant comment that Jesus makes because when you study this passage and, and you read about it, there is no evidence anywhere of a rabbi ever being called good. If you look at ancient books or ancient texts and you read commentators, that's never ever used. And so this man recognizes something about Jesus, that he is sent from God, that there's something related to heaven about Jesus. There's something divine about him. And so he's seeking Jesus. He's a spiritually hungry person. And Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. And so Jesus is saying this. Are you sure you are ready to deal with the implications of what I'm about to say to you? Are you, prepared, are you is your heart prepared to hear from me? And the question that he asks opens our eyes a little bit to his misunderstanding. Because this man, he says this. Good teacher, what must I do? And the question of doing, of being a moral person, was central to his life. Here's what we have to think about as we look at this and we try to analyze this. This man has no category for grace. He is a doer. What, what are the things he, that he's done? Well, he's obeyed 
the last commandments and how he interacts with people. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He's saying that I've done these things. He has no understanding that the kingdom of God is accessed by grace. He wants to do something. He wants to pull himself together. He wants to clean himself up. Money has the power to not provide a category for grace. That the kingdom of God cannot be earned. You cannot perform your way into heaven. Theologians would call this works righteousness. That you have to be a good person to inherit the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus knows, what he knows about this story, or he knows what Jesus knows about this man, is he knows the man's heart. So point number two, what does Jesus want to teach you about wealth this morning? Number one is this, is that Jesus has the power to identify the idols of your heart. Jesus has the power to identify the idols of your heart and that money and material things are the chief competitors for your life. They're the biggest stumbling block in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Look where we get this. Jesus says this, verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Jesus is saying this, that one thing, it's only one thing, but that one thing was the ultimate thing. And that's why Jesus says to get rid of it all. He says this, Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. We have to understand this, is that wealth is one of the most powerful idols that we have to wrestle with. That is, is a significant part of our lives. I read uh, one sermon this week um, uh, by a guy, and he said this, is that greed is easy to hide from ourselves, but the people around us know, because although it may be difficult to spot greed in the mirror, it isn't difficult at all to see it in people around us. In fact, we can identify it most instantly in someone else. Here's what he says. Greedy people talk, talk and worry a lot about money. Greedy people are, are not cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. Greedy people are poor losers. Greedy people squabble over insignificant amounts of money. Greedy people talk as if they just cannot get enough. Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude. Greedy people aren't content with what they have. Greedy people attempt to control people with their money. And so the diagnosis that Jesus gives to this man is that you must sell it all. That the greatest rival in your life needs to be turned over to God. I meant, I meant to mention this earlier, and um, there is no, it's kind of like a, an interruption right in the middle of my sermon, but that's okay. There, there is no part to this sermon, there's no secret part at the end where I'm going to say to you, now I want you to give more money. There's, there's no, there is, I'll just say this, and he just to give you like, in the middle of my sermon, an off-topic thing a little bit, the July budget was great. It was above what we were hoping for. 
So there's no secret, there's no um, hidden agenda in, in me even talking about this right now. Other than this, that the most important thing, here's the agenda, that the most important rival in your life to Jesus Christ is money and material things. How do wealthy people then, like all of us, follow Christ? Well, you have to ask yourself, what are the idols of your heart? And you must be willing to admit, at least willing to consider that money might have that role in your life. And because it was the idol of this man's life, Jesus says to him, you must go and sell it all. Jesus has the power to know what's going on in your heart. And it might not be money. Some of you, in fact, I know this for a fact that some of you are extremely generous, and that might not be the issue. There might be a different idol. But in this man's life, the issue was money. That's number one. Number two is that Jesus wants total submission, not partial submission. To be a follower of Christ, Jesus wants your total allegiance, not partial. He wants total obedience, not partial. And money has the power to create partial devotion to Christ. The conversation that's happening here is one of salvation. And six times in this passage are the words eternal life, kingdom, save, salvation. And the question that Jesus is asking us is this. Does Jesus determine the role of money in your life or does culture determine the role of money in your life? What is shaping your view about money? If you're getting irritated right now that I'm even speaking about money, why are you getting irritated about that? Why is it so important to you? I think we have on the screen. We have the Matthew passage on the screen. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 24 uh, says this. That's chapter 7, I'm sorry. Yeah. If we, if we can do it, otherwise I can read it. Here's what it says. Matthew 6, 24 says this. That no one can serve two masters, for he, he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There we go. All right. The greatest rival. <coughs> serve. Here are the key words. Serve. Serve and devoted. If your minds, and this is true for many of us, if we regularly think about this, if money consumes us, if it creates anxiety and worry, you have to ask yourself, are does money have that role in your life where you are a slave to money? Next verse, I think. Do we have that, Russell? It's coming. Jesus says this, excuse me, the Apostle Paul says this when he's writing letter to Timothy in, in warning about this, about how, how money is a rival to us. He says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now you have to think about this. Think about our culture in America and how we are driven by material things. That marketing campaigns are organized and designed and strategized to get you to buy more, to get more. And here's what it says. You might be falling into a trap. 
that there might be something that captures your heart, that money and material things have the power to capture your heart. But what happens to your life? People go into ruin or destruction. It's important to think about this for a second. Thank you for putting those up there. One of the biggest dangers about money is that it can create blind spots in our lives. It has the power to do that. That we are unable to see. Um, Brian Renner um, mentioned blind spots, I remember, in a sermon a while ago. And I, I think it's significant just for us to think about that and the power and the damage that it can have. Because what happens is the world around us shapes the way we think about it. And so we just need to think very carefully in, in about the words of Christ that when he calls us to follow him, it's total devotion. Go back for one second to Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. And let me just point out some key words for you here. Jesus says this, verse 21. He says this, and Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Now here are the key, there are five key little words that if you have something to write with underlined, here's what Jesus says. He says, go, sell, give, come, and follow. Here's a man who is morally excellent. He's financially well off. He's a religious leader. Jesus says to him to sell everything you have and then the key words are give it all away because that thing has too big of a role in your life to be generous to follow me to come after me Jesus is calling us to a new way of life alright next Jesus' love for you is total not partial Jesus' love for you is total, not partial. Here's what's so interesting about this guy, and Jesus, the, the man that Jesus has a conversation with. Verse 21 says this, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved this morally superior guy, this financially well-off guy, and he loved him in a way that addressed the core issue of his life. Let me show you how Jesus expresses this love. We have Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. We'll go to the next one. Look at the words of Jesus. and He's talking about money and, and his love for people, for you. First of all, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to use different metaphors. Jesus begins by saying this, that he is a shepherd. Fear not, little flock. So, he, Jesus is making the assumption that there is a lot of us that struggle with fear and anxiety with money. And the role of the shepherd is to care for you. The role of a shepherd is to care for sheep that are vulnerable and susceptible. That's the one. Number two, then he says this. That God is your father and the father loves to give things to you. So Jesus is saying this, that he loved this man and he loves you. And it is his good will, his good pleasure to give you things. So you've got a shepherd, you've got a father, and now you've got a king. King Jesus, what does he want to give you? He wants to give you the kingdom. Madonna 
wants to give you material things. King Jesus wants to give you the kingdom. What is more valuable to you? What is more important to you in your life? The message here that Jesus is saying is this. Is that it's very, very difficult for people who have wealth to inherit the kingdom of God. But let's look at, at the words of Jesus. Verse 23. And I'll finish up with this. Jesus looked around. The man of verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around at the disciples, how difficult it will be for, the, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. Are we amazed at that? Are we self-deceived? Blind spots say this. Look at this guy again for a second. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's possible to study your Bible. This guy knows the Ten Commandments. It's possible to be part of a, um, a church. This guy was a leader in a synagogue. It's possible to have a desire. The guy was very sincere and very um, eager to know what it means to be a Christian. You can have all these outful things. You can come to church. You can come to Pepperdine. You can be a part of a small group. And you can still have hidden idols in your life. And that's why Jesus sends the guy away. And he's broken hearted and he's sad because he has great possessions. Jesus says, verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The point is this, it's impossible. Verse 26, and the disciples were exceedingly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said this, with man it is impossible but with God, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So Jesus is saying this. We need to be aware of our blind spots. That you can come here, you can sing songs of worship, you can do all these things of piety. But if you have hidden idols in your life, and the greatest idol that you need to be aware of is money and material things, and the security that you think it brings, you can be blind. You can be blind. You can think you're a part of the kingdom, and you're not. According to Jesus, because money is the most important thing. Money is the thing you serve. Well, what are the things we can do? What, what are some practical, helpful things that you can do? Is Number one is this, is that you are aware of urgent spiritual and physical needs around the world. That you are aware of urgent spiritual needs right here where we live in our neighborhood and you are aware of physical needs here and around the world. Do, are you aware? Do you care? Does your money have any role in meeting the needs of other people? Now here's the, the, the negative thing and the, or the harder thing about a sermon like this is this, is that there are so many generous people in our church and I wish I could, and I won't do this, but I wish I could say, this person, this person, this person, this person, these people are extremely generous people. And they want, a, they want to sincerely be free from money. So here's how we do it. And this was passed on to me. This is not something that I thought of. But here's, here's something that was passed on to me. Number one is this. You have to make a plan. Random acts of giving do not make you a generous person. And people are really good at doing random acts of kindness. You know, that was a bumper sticker a long time ago. Random acts of giving, people are very good at that. 
But that in and of itself can create a blind spot. There has to be something more specific. And I believe the Bible teaches this, is number one, is that every time you get paid, you give a percentage away. Whatever percentage you decide, that's between you and God. Every time you get paid, you give something away. And I'm not saying you have to give to the church to now be gathered. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there should be some aspect of generosity where you're meeting the needs of other people, where you are meeting spiritual needs, where you are meeting physical needs. And that begins with you and your understanding that there is an urgent need for people who have spiritual needs and who have physical needs. Number one is this. Every time you get paid, you give a certain percentage away. Number two is save that you save some aspect, you save some part of your money. And number three is that you have money left over to live. All right? So give, number one. Two is save. Three is live. And here's what's so funny about this. If you do number one and you give it away, number two and three, you can still be a hoarder and a consumer and still like make life work a little bit, right? Some people hoard money. I need more, I need more, I need more. I, I gotta keep saving. Once I have this amount, then I feel good. Then you're like, oh, no, I need more, I need a larger saving. Living. We all have needs, and it's really important for you to understand this, that God wants to bless you, that God wants you to enjoy the material things of this world. But please be aware that they have the power to become ultimate. That they have a unique ability to capture your heart to pull you away from Jesus. That's why the idea of giving, saving, and living is one way that you cannot not allow money to capture your heart. The kingdom of God is not about material things. It's not about material blessings. It's a spirit of generosity. When you look at the book of Acts, and you see how the early church started. One of the key characteristics of the early church was generosity. And that people were aware that the way you prevent from becoming an idol is you give some amount away to people who have spiritual needs, to people who have physical needs. It is possible. Think about it. I was thinking about this this week. And I, I don't want to diverge from this, so I'm going to be done. But how... How in the world can, can a church in, eight, in 1860 in Georgia, where there's slavery all around, how can people gather together and do church while slavery is right in front of them? Right in front of them. They have blind spots. How can a church... Look, think about this. How, how can I lead a successful church in America and ignore the spiritual needs of people and ignore the poor? It's possible. You know how? Two things. You draw a big crowd and you have lots of money in the budget. And I could, we could be viewed as a very successful church by drawing numbers in and having money to buy more things for ourselves and ignoring the poor, ignoring the spiritual people who are in need. It happens all the time. I have friends. Church was amazing. People coming. Budgets great. People giving lots of money. And it was a sinking ship. 
It's a sinking ship because you ignore the needs of people around you. So my hope, I, I, I'll say this in all sincerity, I don't care if, if, if not one person, if, if in the back, when we count the money this morning, there's zero dollars in there, I, I don't care. But if your heart is one of generosity and you understand You've got to figure out and think for yourself and understand that money has power over you. When you come up with a plan of generosity, that it's a part of your life, that you move from a random giver, that's most people, just random givers, and if you can move to a life of generosity that includes money, but it also includes your time. Again, I wish I could, I could name specific people who are so generous in our church with money and their time. And the question is this, if this is your home church, will you join? Will you be a part? Will you help meet spiritual needs of people? Well, is there enough money in our budget that we can give some away to help people who are poor? Those are really important things to think about because we can think of ourselves as a great, cool church, fun church, meet here on this property, but we are blind. We are blinded by the power of money if we are ignoring the poor, if we are ignoring the spiritual needs of other people. So my hope is that we'll be thoughtful that this passage will resonate in our hearts and that we'll be willing to think carefully about this in our own lives. Last thing is this. Is that last night I sat down with the boys and I, one of the most important things, especially if you're a parent, think about how you want to raise your kids. Do you want to raise your children to be generous? Or do you want to raise them to want and buy more and more and more stuff? Like when does it stop? You go into debt to buy more, more crap, right? In all honesty, just more stuff, more stuff. Are we blinded by the power of money material things? So think about a plan, think about giving, think about raising your children to be generous about raising them to be kind, be thoughtful people, about being aware of the needs around you. If you're a, a college student and you're coming back, be aware of the culture that you live in. Have your eyes open into a culture that is consumed with more things, with another new car, new clothes, more stuff. It will never satisfy you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, um, you give us your word and and the words of Jesus are not always just super nice and sweet. That Jesus came to announce his kingdom, that it, it forces us to think, that it causes us to examine our hearts, to realize that there might be idols in our heart, that there might be things in our heart that capture us. And it might not be money, it might be, it might be the attention of other people. It might be perception and what people think about us. It might be money. Father, you have the power to search our hearts. You know the things that we think about. You know the things that we are consumed about. You know the things that cause us fear. Father, I pray that you help us to remember that you are our good, good Father. That you want to give us things that are good for our souls, good things for our hearts. Father, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to go against the way of the world, of consumerism, of striving for more and more and more. We ask your Holy Spirit to go work in our hearts and our lives. 
that we would be true representatives of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus.